The 10,000 hour rule was made famous by author Malcolm Gladwell in his best-selling 2008 book, Outliers. In it, Gladwell suggests that the key to becoming world-class at something, such as playing chess or performing with a musical instrument, is to spend roughly 10,000 hours engaging in the activity. It's a simple yet powerful message, but unfortunately, it isn't true. There's nothing special or magical about 10,000 hours, according to Anders Ericsson, the Swedish psychologist responsible for the research on which the 10,000 hour rule is based. He goes on to explain that Gladwell didn't distinguish between the deliberate practice that the musicians in our study did and any sort of activity that might be labeled practice. Simply put, Gladwell failed to address the unique approach that the students in the study used to upgrade their skills. Instead, many of the examples covered in the book gave the strong impression that any time spent engaging in the goal activity would lead to further improvement, which contradicts Erickson's research. Unfortunately, not all forms of practice are equally effective for developing skill. In Peak, Anders Ericsson and co-author Robert Poole explain three distinct approaches for engaging in practice. In doing so, they dismantled the idea that all forms of practice automatically lead to skill advancement. Furthermore, they clarify how the approach of world-class performers differs from that of mere hobbyists. So, let's take a quick look at the basics behind all three approaches, beginning with naive practice. This approach is built on the misguided belief that time spent leads to mastery. When people first set out to develop a new skill, such as playing basketball, they focus on developing the fundamental skills, such as dribbling, shooting, and passing. But from there, they may simply focus on just shoring up a few weaknesses so they can reach an acceptable level of performance. That way, they feel comfortable playing with their peers. However, it's at this point that most people reach a plateau. They no longer focus on developing specific skills and instead settle into a familiar routine of both playing and perhaps practicing the game. As a result, they see little to no further improvement in their abilities. In some cases, depending on the pursuit, their skills may even slightly decline over time. Next up, we have purposeful practice. This approach is focused on the achievement of specific, well-defined goals. It involves getting outside of one's comfort zone to learn a new skill in a focused way with clear goals, a plan for achieving those goals, and a way to monitor progress over time. Unlike naive practice, it requires clear expectations and total focus. The quality of the practice matters much more than the quantity of time spent. According to Anders Ericsson, the hallmark of purposeful practice is trying to do something you cannot already do. It involves practicing new skills repeatedly, focusing on exactly how you are doing them, where you are falling short, and how you can get better. Key to all of this is gathering reliable feedback so you know whether or not you are actually improving. Now, last but not least is deliberate practice. This approach follows the same core principles of purposeful practice. The key difference is that it's informed and guided by the best performer's achievements 
and a deep understanding of what they did in order to excel. In the words of Anders Ericsson, deliberate practice is purposeful practice that knows where it's going and how to get there. This approach allows experts to build on the progress of others. It's why the latest generation of athletes, musicians, and gymnasts routinely outperform experts from the previous era. Their coaches help them incorporate best practices, avoid mistakes of the past, and thus push the boundaries of what was previously possible. Now, it's worth noting there are relatively few fields in which deliberate practice can be applied in the strictest sense. These include, but are not limited to, playing chess, learning musical instruments, playing sports, and other Olympic-level competitions such as gymnastics. In each case, the underlying skills are well understood, and effective training methods have been established that predictably lead to mastery. With that said, it is possible to apply the same basic approach to less developed pursuits. As Anders Ericsson explains, this often boils down to purposeful practice with a few extra steps. First, identify the expert performers, then figure out what they do that makes them so good, then come up with training techniques that allow you to do it too. This typically involves identifying objective, reproducible measures that distinguish the best performers from the rest. Or, when that is not possible, finding a way to approximate things. That way, there's a reliable method to track one's progress relative to the best performers in the field. The key to becoming an expert is the development of mental representations that make it easier to spot patterns, make sense of complexity, and identify the correct course of action in a given situation. Even when the skill is primarily physical, a critical factor is the development of mental frameworks for properly engaging in the activity. A mental representation is a cognitive structure that corresponds to an object, an idea, a collection of information, or anything else concrete or abstract. For example, consider how the word dog allows people to communicate more efficiently about a pet. Three simple letters, or even just the sound that they make, serve as a mental representation for a complex mammal with well-understood traits and behaviors. This kind of efficient encoding of information is all around us. Almost everything we do, including walking, speaking, reading, and writing, is built on a complex web of mental representations. Without them, even the simple act of walking would require that we actively coordinate a complex series of muscle movements. Consider how a child learns to ride a bike. Early attempts are often frustrating because they don't yet know how to manage their balance while pedaling to keep the bike upright. However, once they develop the appropriate mental representations for riding a bike, doing so becomes easy, even automatic. So, the primary purpose of purposeful or deliberate practice is to develop the appropriate mental representations for whatever it is that we're seeking to master. Doing so initiates a virtuous cycle because better mental representations allow you to better monitor and evaluate your performance. Thus, the more skilled you become, the better your mental representations are. And the better your mental representations are, the easier it is for you to improve and develop your skill. This is one reason why experts often appear to be fast learners. 
Their superior mental representations developed through years of deliberate practice provide a stronger foundation for adding related skills, abilities, and knowledge. So, while it may be true that they can learn things faster today, that wasn't always the case. The lesson here is that aspiring experts always seek to identify potential weaknesses in their abilities. Then, they look for ways to address those weaknesses by engaging in either purposeful or deliberate practice. Doing so allows them to develop the appropriate mental representations needed to advance their skills or deepen their expertise. So, with everything that we've explored thus far, here's what Malcolm Gladwell and his 10,000-hour rule got right and what it got wrong. We do have a tremendous capacity for improving our abilities, and in conveying that inspirational message, Gladwell was correct. The human brain is indeed capable of rewiring itself to learn new skills and new abilities. And yes, the key to creating truly remarkable results is to engage in practice over an extended period of time. However, there is nothing special about reaching 10,000 hours of experience. Depending on the specific pursuit or what it is that you're looking to achieve, it might take less time, or in some cases, it might take considerably more time. Every pursuit is unique. Most crucial of all, the method of practice is what matters most. If we spend thousands of hours engaged in naive practice, we'll almost certainly end up with little or nothing to show for it. Whereas, if we direct that same energy towards purposeful or deliberate practice, we can develop the mental representations needed to become a master in our field. That is the path that we must follow to become a world-class expert or a world-class performer.